Good morning, podcast listeners. This is Ed Franklin with the Ed Franklin No Limits podcast, and uh, Happy New Year again. I did a uh, short podcast last week, and I hope you listened to it earlier this week. And um, this is my first guest of the year. Uh, this gentleman's name is Brett, and I'm going to let him tell you his last name. He is the president and CEO of the Carlsbad Chamber, and we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to talk about a lot of things, but um, Brett, welcome. Happy New Year. How do you say your last name again? Yeah, it's uh, Sean Sinbach. And, yeah, uh, so <laughs> it's a mouthful, but yeah, thank you, Ed. I appreciate the invitation to be here. Happy to join. That's one of those names when you're in school that teacher never gets it right. Right, the first exactly you train them for the first two months. And when you do so, have somebody, um, when you do have somebody get it right, you're more shocked than the opposite. You're like, whoa, how did you do yeah, that? <laughs> if they get it right the first time, <laughs> exactly. English teachers hopefully would do that. But yeah. so I met Brett through when I ran the Chamber of Commerce in Poway. We used to get together on a mostly monthly basis and have a breakfast with all of the chamber heads in the North County. And at the time I met Brett, he was running the Vista Chamber of Commerce and had done that for how many years? I ran Vista for 10. So 10 years. And now you've been with Carlsbad for three, I think. Yeah, I just finished my fourth. Oh, wow. So you've been in this business a long time. And yeah. I said before we started, I Chamber of Commerce is to me are interesting I think they need to get a little more up to date because we kind of think of them as the sixties and seventies with the sundowners and our parents going yeah, or whatever. So I guess, give me a little synopsis of what you think, why sure. the chamber is important. We'll just go like that. Sure. Well, um, I'll, I'll share with you why I fallen in love with the industry and uh, why Perfect. even a couple of times in my life when I considered, you know, moving on, I didn't. Um <laughs> And um, and I know you know some of this, but for your listeners and viewers, sure. um, you know, the, the chamber is kind of like a hub within the community, you know, and there's everybody thinks of the chamber as working with the business community, which is true, of course. But we also work with government, local regional government. We work with public safety. We work with um, schools. And then we also work with the nonprofit community and they kind of all come together through us. And then my vision and our goal is always to make a positive impact on all of them through what we do uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. So um, the ability to have positive impact throughout the whole community is why I love what we do. And um, and I know you know this from your days. It's like no two days are ever the same. Oh, no. Um, you know, and uh, so there's a lot of variety to it. But but I really, I really love that opportunity that the chamber has to make a positive impact on the overall community, you know, not just the businesses themselves. So one of the things I was very adamant about doing was educating the um, general public on what the chamber does, right? So if you went to somebody that was walking down the street and asked him what the Chamber of Commerce does, you, it'd be rare that you could get an answer even close to what we did. Yeah. Um, my job I felt a lot was to get a lot of people in one room so they could do some business together. But in in addition to that, we had to be visible in the public. So people would do business locally, right? We know yeah. uh, if we can, I did a big thing about buying locally, right? So those tax mm -hmm. dollars go back into your community, whether it's gas or a car or whatever you're buying, For sure, yeah. you should really try to shop locally. And even if it's at a, at a, at a major store, like a Walmart or something, it's still going back into your community. So yep. Yep. it's always important to think local first. If you can't get it local, I understand. But and, and I would even say to our chamber members that were outside of Poway, you need to buy local too. You need to buy where you're at, where you live. 
Yeah. So you can get those streets done and things like that. Um, yeah. So what are you guys doing, if anything? And I don't mean to put you on the spot. We're just having a conversation here to kind of get into the, the day, this day and age with chambers, because they do have a reputation of being old school ways to do business. Yep. And I, and I think, um, I think that's a, a fair, you know, assessment. People have a, a tendency to think of, you know, we used to call it the, their grandfather's chamber, you know, where <laughs> guys in a back room with, a, you know, bankers with stogies and just, you know, uh, doing back channel deals or something. And that's how networking was. And um, and we obviously we still do have not networking opportunities. That's definitely part of what we do. Um, sure. we, we would never just um, get rid of that. I was just this morning uh, came here to to chat with you from uh, one of our core networking events. It's a, a breakfast every first Friday of the month. And, you know, we had 65 people there. It's a, not as many as we had pre-pandemic, but it still was a good group. It was a good, good vibe. Um, so we still do some of those things that people um, stereotypically associate with chambers. Um, and, uh, and some of them, you know, still go well, and some of them need to be put to pasture. But um, to your question, like, how do we come into the modern times? Um, I, I like to talk about it this way. Back, I don't know, 20 plus years ago, everybody thought and talked about economic development um, as an activity to try and get that cool company or that great new, the, the next Amazon or the next Qualcomm to come to your community right. and locate right? And then that would give good jobs, which is true. It would be good jobs, good for the community, blah, blah, blah. But what we knew even before the pandemic hit, um, that people can go and take their jobs with them. They can, they can choose to work from anywhere, from a lot of professions. And then the pandemic hit and that just grew sure. exponentially. So what we have to be about in economic development, which is a core piece of what we do in the chamber world is, um, talent attraction like we have to become we have to help our location whatever chamber we're in we have to help our location become a great place to to live to be to start a new business you know so it's got to be all these factors to, and and so we very quickly end up into the quality of life metrics what is it that makes a place a great place to be and so is it good schools right uh, affordability low crime rates and amenities that people want um, it has to be business friendly and and um, it, it, entrepreneur friendly for starting a new business. So all these factors are things that we look at and are like, how can we positively impact these? It's not just about sitting back and creating an environment where people can trade business cards. So one of the initiatives like that that's a big deal to us right now is um, workforce development. You know, and I know you've heard this, and I know you're out yeah. in the business world. It's so hard to find good people right now, right? And it might be softening a little bit at the moment as you and I are speaking, but still, in general, as an overall trend, it's getting harder and harder to find great people. So um, we've been engaged in, in two or three different things that are specifically with the intent of, of growing talent locally, of highlighting careers locally for the upcoming student to tap into and making connecting these dots. One of the things we've found, and I, I have a feeling you can you can resonate with this is that um, schools are great. And I come from a family of educators, so I'm not, I'm not bagging on schools, Right, right. but 
most teachers come straight out of college and they go teach. And yet they're the ones educating the next workforce and they've never worked. Now teaching is working. I'm not saying it's not, but you know what I mean? Like real, like, like the kind of job, uh, you know, all of our members do, they don't, they don't, they don't really have a frame of reference for it. Well, I tell you, I am 100% in agreement with you, but I'm also, there's another piece to that, that I, over my life, I've looked at, we were raised different in a different time, right? Yep. We had a different type of work ethic. And yes, having raising grandkids now versus my kids, very big, you know, 25 year swing, there's a different mindset on work ethic in the schools these days than there was when we were kids. Yes. Um, and it wasn't this, you know, I'm not going to go into the, I wish it was the 70s again and wearing polyester and dialing a phone like this. It was it was about a different just mindset about work ethic, right? We have kids making, now there's one of these kids, right, making $10 million a week off of YouTube. And everybody else, but all these other kids go, well, that seems easy. Oh, yeah, right. of course it seems easy, but nothing's, it's always easier seemingly. Yeah, exactly. Um, we did, we were working with um, CTE, Career Technical yes. Uh, education do they have that up there probably yes absolutely so we had that at power unified and we were working with that the problem with that that i saw right out of the gates with that is it only affected about 30 percent of the students right right it was only beneficial to about 30 so what do we do with the other 90 yeah. percent that have to go to work every day and pay daycare and do all these things when they're a parent when they're adults but i can tell you when i was in the moving business people someone asked me one time what do you look for an employee i said someone that'll show up with their shoes tied that's all i really needed because I could train those people to do anything. What I needed was enthusiasm, a smile on their face when they got there, and the willingness to learn and work. And I, I'm continually telling my kids and grandkids that it's, it's what you're learning in school is not as important as how you're learning to learn, right? Yeah. You got to be able to absorb information and execute that information and trust your instincts. I think I give kids that... Um, I have, I work with younger people at work and they say, well, what do you think I should do? I said, trust what you think. I mean, it's not a bad, you probably have good instincts that you don't even know about. Yeah. You may make some mistakes, but that's, come on, that's what life's all about. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think people understand that the chamber does get involved in that. For in sure. That area. Yeah. No. And I think you hit the nail on the head that, I mean, for some reason, um, those, those skills like that get up, suit up and show up mentality has been labeled as soft skills. And then when we think of the term soft, we think that that, that means it's not as important, like, uh, you know, because it's, it's soft. So that's obviously not core or, and I think that's, that's such a bad way of looking at it. Those, that work ethic that you just mentioned is core to 90% of the work that gets done. The other 10% you can train and get the competencies. And, and again, I'm not bagging on schools here, but just in the vein of us having a discussion, so much of school stuff gets focused on test scores and test yeah. results and then what percentage of our kids go to four-year universities and what percentage, you know, go to college and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, um, and so anyways, we, we try really hard to bridge the world of real work back into the life of education. And so there's a few initiatives we do and, you know, and there, but there's so much more that we could and should be doing. So, you know, we're always trying to, as you know, there was never enough hours in the day. There's never enough bodies to do everything you could and would like to be doing in this chamber world, which is one of the things that's exciting about it, but it's also <laughs> one of the things that just overwhelms you about it. But sure. um, 
Well, yeah. and you have a budget. I mean, you can't just keep hiring people to do all the stuff that you don't want to do or that you don't have time to do. So, exactly. Um, and you're not, right. it's not like your uh, profit center where you're making money off of a product or something that you can raise or lower the price. So, that was exactly. some of the concerns we had. And I, I can tell you that, um, and you don't have to answer this question since you're current, but when I was, I had a definite, uh, lack of response from board members as far as getting involved. I think the board members now are better than the ones I had not bashing. They were not all nice, very nice people in that, but, and they had lives just like me, but they, I, I really counted on those board members to step up and help me. And I didn't get that. Um, yeah. I didn't feel like I had that support. Like I said, the, the board members now seem like they're doing more. Yeah. I mean, and it's a mixed bag. Um, and as you pointed out, I mean, board members are volunteers. And so, mm-hmm. You and I, and and of the roles we have, we have, we recognize that. But um, and so sometimes you know you get you get board members who are filling a seat and like having their name on that roster, and yeah. and it's you know a public thing, and so it's a good thing for them. But um, uh, but man, as you pointed out, the board members who do get roll up their sleeves and get involved, man, you it's really appreciate important. them. Yeah, they're yes. vital and so helpful. Well, and. I'm of the thought and I've always have been that everybody I meet, I can learn something from, right? From doesn't matter who they are. It could be a child. I can learn something from a child that knows something I don't know. And those board members, the resources they have in their head. I mean, uh, some of these guys, I mean, we had guys from uh, General Atomics that were realty people that I I don't understand that side of the business, but yeah. uh, And, you know, guys that work at Qualcomm and things like that. So we're super, super smart people, but you, we have to appreciate those. Well, know, their minds. and I think to that point is, um, you know, one of the reasons we work so hard at the chamber of having a, a good diverse board, like um, yeah. representing, you know, all size of shapes of companies, you know, retail versus manufacturing versus home base versus service, you know, young board members, old board members, male, female. I mean, you just try to have this huge diversity, ethnic diversity so that because it just gives you all these different perspectives that can be of value. Um, and uh, yeah, so I agree with you. So let's back up a little bit. So what did you, so you went to college, where did you go to school? I did. Um, I went to Franciscan University of Steubenville, a little Catholic liberal arts school. Oh in yeah, Ohio. I know Steubenville, yeah. Yep, and uh, I went to school for psychology and I was gonna be a marriage and family counselor and I was gonna save the world from divorce. Nice. Yeah, just a small So I'll tell you a funny thing about that is I think I've alluded to or told you the fact that I was divorced twice before I found my soulmate and a lot of reasons, whatever, it doesn't matter. And I've been encouraged to do a podcast on divorce, which I'm doing next week. Oh, wow. Um, Not not on the bashing side of things, but on the expectation side when you get married and also how kids relate to these, you know, devastations in their life. Some of it's devastating. Some kids, it's devastating. Some are like thank God they're not together anymore. You kind of think, right. right. We didn't have this. Uh, I didn't, I wasn't in these fiery relationships where the kids were being so much affected. So, but we can get onto that later. But um, so what did you do before you uh, went, worked at the chamber? At yeah. Chamber? I, I um, initially, um, I actually started doing uh, church work. So I was a youth minister um, for seven years at uh, a couple different Catholic parishes and then, um, but concurrent with um, at least my first stint in that, concurrent with that, I was in business and um, I had done some 
you know, started the way everybody's, I started way at the bottom at retail. I was doing sales at like a, it was in the Midwest. So we don't have the chain yeah. out here, but it was kind of like a circuit city, uh-huh. you know, and you're out there just selling like electronics and big screen TVs. And I did not know that about you. That's camcorders. And, and then I ended up going from that to selling cars. I sold for a Honda dealership and and oh, then, dude, I uh, sold cars for about five minutes. That was the that was the worst job I've ever had. Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting. Funny, I sold I sold. You'll understand this. I sold cabin chassis, and then I sold the service body. Oh. That was fine. It was when I had to do retail once a month that I had a problem with, and I'll tell you another story later. Not, not later, yeah, but um, so you were you went to school for, to be a psychologist yeah. or took psychology. So you were probably a good salesman because I think that all I, salespeople have to be psychologists. <laughs> I agree with you. I think there's a relationship there between business and psychology. And uh, so 100%. I did, I did this, I did the sales. So then I, I was in church ministry full time for about three and a half years where I wasn't in business. But then, um, well, be- before I had um, completely left business, I, I had started working in a software company. It was a startup. So I was working like in this startup and i was working in church ministry at the same time and uh i don't think it'll be a big shock to people to know that church ministry doesn't pay the greatest so i was <laughs> i was working for <laughs> i was working in the software business with my friend and um but then i i left and went to oregon for three years and i did just full-time church ministry but the whole time his business finally got more established and got uh you know got some feet under it some legs under it. So he contacted me and said, Hey, I want you to come back and, you know, take over the marketing department. So at that point I just left church ministry altogether and I went into business full time. So I was in software overall for almost 10 years. And then I transitioned. I went into real estate. I did real estate for eight years, seven years, something like that. Um, and it was the real estate that got me connected to the chamber. So when I was a realtor, I joined my local chamber, right? Became a member, became a volunteer, got on the board of directors, and then got on a committee. That's yep, right. You exactly. Had to get on a committee. Exactly. And then while I was on the board, the gentleman who was uh, the executive for the chamber at the time, he and his wife decided to move back to the Midwest. It was like a one of those pre-retirement moves, and yep. uh, and I was doing real. This is in 08. Real estate was not fun. Everything was upside down and short sales and foreclosures. Oh yeah. I lost my job. In, oh, nice. Yeah. That was a brutal time. Yeah. So um, I decided to make a switch and I've loved it ever since. Well, good for you. I so I didn't know all this about you. We've never spent that much time together, but something yep. you mentioned. Um, so I was, uh, I'm a past grand knight with the Knights of Columbus. I've been a knight for, man, alive, 30, 38 years now. Yeah. And working with the church, uh, has been an economic roller coaster. We'll say it that way, or however I should have thought of something else to say. But that that's a tough job because of budgets, and yeah. and then you were dealing with children, and then you were dealing with their parents. Yeah, I taught RCIA. I I assisted uh, in a class for RCIA for eight years, and working yeah. with a lot of young. Well, we'll say young adults because these were over eighteen kids, but. Um, and for those of you who don't know, RCIA is like catechism for adults. We'll say it that way. It's yeah. Stuff. I always thought that. Um, so we'll, we're getting into Catholic stuff now. I always thought that um, the students that went through RCIA were better equipped than a kid, a fifteen-year-old that got um, confirmed. Right. 
Yeah. So confirmation is wasted on teenagers. My point. Yeah. I I believe that's true. Um, they don't really understand. They're doing it for their parents. But the the adults that came through RCIA were, I could you could see a different light in their eyes when they decided to become a Catholic. And the reasons they became a Catholic, it wasn't just because their parents made them. Right. Yeah. For sure. So you yeah. were dealing with youth groups that you would during that time of the youth group they would do confirmation, right? So you were educating them after CCD. Yeah. So we had. The different parishes I was involved in at the time, there was a confirmation program for teenagers, but then we'd also have separate from that, like just a, a, a youth program for those who that was just voluntary. Like you didn't have to go. Through, there was no sacrament attached to it. So it right, just, right, right, right. You know, and and so. Um, so, so they kind of do both where I'm, the church I went to in Poway, they, they linked both of those together. Right. And we had them separate. So like if you just wanted to get the sacrament and you didn't really want to be involved, that's fine. And if you, uh, you know, but we had more, we tried to have a robust program. And so it was, I loved it. It was fun. Um, you know, yeah, when, I sure got, was. when I got my undergrad degree at Franciscan, um, the way they had it set up, it was very easy to um, double major. So I got my psychology degree and I also got a theology degree at the same time. And so um, I, I loved doing the youth ministry stuff and, uh, and like, and then ever since, so since I've left full time, I've been, as you just pointed out, like yourself, I've been a volunteer catechist at my church and I'm on an RCIA team right now. Um, so love it. Oh, good. That was fun. That was fun for me. And a, and a few of my kids went through RCIA with, they let them go through as, as, um, as high school students. And I think yeah. they got more out of it now. I agree. I'd like to see, you know, obviously, you know, I have eight children. I'd like to see more of my kids going to church now. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that, like me, they may come back when they have, when their children are a little bit older. Mm -hmm. So um, we'll, we'll see about that. But yeah. And so let me back up uh, to two things. One, for those young people, a camcorder, look it up online to see what it is. <laughs> I didn't know what it is. I hear people go, oh, yeah, I taped it. I said, well, you didn't tape it. You videoed it on your phone. You didn't tape it. But that's another story. <laughs> that's funny. And, yeah, videotape. And um, and I forgot the second thing I was going to say. But um, anyway, so let's talk about your family. Oh, so I was going to say this. I've had two people, three people on my – you're a very kind man. I And, and that, I mean that in the highest respect. I am not – kind in that respect right when people meet no one ever says oh i met ed he's very kind they don't say that they might say he's a nice guy i hope they do but they never say <laughs> kind so let's talk about your family and i can see why you're that way from your background but um your family to me is just i'm so excited about oh you, know, well, you can you. mention what you want about it and then we'll go from there sure um well my wife and i we've been married 32 years awesome. um and, and, and running. And, uh, um, we have six children. Um, and two of those are, our, our kids span a pretty wide age bracket. So our oldest is 31 and our youngest is 14. So, um, four, so four of our kids are technically young adults. And then one's a freshman in college. One's a freshman in high school. Those are the two youngest. And, uh, so two of them are married. Um, and they're both fairly young marrieds, like uh, four years and two years. And so we have okay. two grandkiddos. We have a two-year-old grandson and a one-year-old granddaughter um, from those guys. And then um, our oldest son 
is actually in the seminary here in San Diego to possibly become a Catholic priest for our diocese here in San Diego. So that's what I was hoping you would bring up, and I didn't want to do it for you. No, it's because I, I think it's super exciting. I think it's I think it's a little weird. I mean, if that had happened to me, not weird in an odd way, but a, just to have your son be a yeah. priest, I just think it'd be cool in a lot of ways, but also a lot of stress and yeah things like that and and he and for him to have the discipline i mean there's a lot of discipline obviously who are for those of you who don't know that are who are catholic very educated priests are very educated they're very well trained there there's a lot goes into it it's not just you know throwing on a robe and getting up there and talking it's a lot of stuff goes into that and you know what's funny about that ed that point you just brought up about all the training and schooling that goes into it he was not um a school kid like he was not the kind of he was not an academic kid oh interesting i mean if we're just honest he hated school and sure um and when high school was done he did dabble in community college a little bit here and there but he was that kid hopefully he won't mind me sharing this but he would go like he'd get halfway through a semester at say palomar college or something and pretty much he would have bailed out of but he wouldn't have withdrawn from classes he would have just stopped going and then all those classes went in the tank and you know so you'd have to retake half of those classes or whatever yeah. um and so but he so he just went right into working after high school and uh um he got management roles at a couple of different places over time like uh chick-fil-a legoland like different places yeah. like that where he started at the bottom and worked his way up into management but um he he's he had toyed with the call of of the seminary of the priesthood for a number of years and then um you know when he he fully got involved or when he applied and got accepted and all that kind of stuff um it's been i'm trying to think now it's been so he didn't everybody who starts down that track comes from a different you know place some people already have a college degree right right and then they they come and do this but since he didn't have a college degree at all he uh he did three years of undergraduate work there um to get his philosophy degree and then now you transition to the the seminary side, um, the I'm sorry, the theology side, excuse me. And that's a four year thing. And he's two and a half years into that. So he's got like two years to go or something like that. I don't know. I get confused. But it's, yeah. so <laughs> it's for those process. of you that don't know that are Catholics, a lot of the priests out there, I've ran into several priests that are attorneys, architects. Mm -hmm. um, they have their degrees and all these other things, and, yep. which is very helpful, obviously. Sure. If you're building a church or if you, you know, yeah, legal issues or whatever. But um, yeah, not every priest, like you said. And, and I'll tell you the college piece to that. I, I've had, I didn't pay for any of my kids' college. We helped them out a little bit. And like one, two, three, four, I have four degrees so far. They kind of went on their own path because some of them weren't. I was not a, college person i was not a sit in the class and read and i would get bored after half of that's probably why he stopped is because he was yeah. bored of things his mind yeah. was moving too fast in another direction so i don't take that as you know anything except that i think he well and now he's got a calling is i'm impressed yeah. so i just think that's an interesting dynamic in your family yeah and, uh, i forgot you did tell me that you had kids in high school so i have a grandson in high school yeah, And I did not come from an educational background uh, in our family. And this new school system is driving me bonkers. So compared to what my kids did, compared to what I went through, it's very different, very hard to manage. And 
as a person that doesn't, I don't really, um, I'm not interested in taking the time all the time with their new system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't have any more kids coming up. So yep. my kids are going to have to deal with it. I don't want to deal with it anymore. So yep. when I go to the school, they go, oh, this guy again, kind of thing. And so <laughs> I'm super old school. No, I know what you mean. Like even with my daughter who, um, my youngest daughter, who's a freshman in high school and, um, and she is like uber talented, uber, uber creative, but math is not her favorite thing. And right. so she'll be struggling with math and I'll go in and, and I loved math and I'll go in and I'm like looking at this and like, so different. You know, they're using this common core methodology, this new methodology of trying to, and I'm like, this is, I don't. I don't understand anything that they're trying to do, but here's how you do the stupid problem, you know? And she's like, oh, okay. Why didn't they just tell us that? I'm like, I don't know. It's ridiculous. But... Yeah. But then if she doesn't show her work, right. Yeah, right. Then they go. Yeah. So I'm a big, I can do a lot of math. In my, I've always been, my dad is super math. And so is my son. And I, I can do that same. I can do stuff in my head. Right. Yeah. They'd give me a problem. I'd say, well, it's like 29.6. And they're going, well, how did you do that? I said, I don't know. I just, I know how to do it. Yeah. So yeah, but you got to show the work. And I said, well, I can't show you the work. I don't yeah. <laughs> so anyway, let's get let's get back to the chamber stuff. So I I think it's important, and as I you know venture out into this public speaking thing, I really want people to understand how important their story is in their life, right? And you mm -hmm. have, like everybody, you have a great story, and I like yeah. the positivity of your story, and things like that. And when I was running the chamber, I used to see companies come in to the chamber, and let's say they were a good cook, right? I'm going to open a restaurant, and it's and they have no idea on how to run business, how to do taxes, how to do any of these things. And so we offered some things through Power Unified Adult School. Mm -hmm. We didn't offer them. I mean, they offered them, but we sold, yeah. helped them sell that so they could learn about. Because I could usually tell if a person was going to go out of business right when they joined the chamber. I know that's a horrible thing to say, but you could just kind of see you don't have all these other skills you really need. And the difference, yeah. I used to tell people this, the difference between you handing a, an accountant a stack of receipts or a folder full of receipts versus giving it to them in a spreadsheet is about 2,500 bucks a year. So if you want to spend that money or you can take a class in Excel, kind of learn how to use it. What do you see when people join the chambers, young businesses, new businesses, what they're, you kind of see the same issues? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I think that um, you definitely hit the nail on the head with how a lot of people first start a business, right? They get this idea that they can make a better widget, whatever that widget is, and they have a skill. They have a, an expertise in some aspect of making that widget. But as you pointed out, knowing all the things that they need to understand and, and be able to perform on to actually run a business are two different things. Making the widget is just one piece and right. making it well and making it affordable or whatever their angle is going to be is just one piece. But because they... Um, they've worked at maybe company A or company B and they've seen how they've made the widget and they're like, I, I can do this better. And I mean, this is the way they're doing it's dumb or whatever. Um, and then they venture out and, and frequently just have no idea um, how to make all the other pieces work and then even how to get funding to help set themselves up or how, you know, all this stuff. So yeah, kind of like you were saying, we, we, um, we don't try to be the masters of all of those things. And right. as you pointed out, like you guys partnered with your school district, we partner with a lot of organizations. Um, the Small Business Development Center has an office here in Carlsbad. They do some great work on a lot. They of do, 100%. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so we try to, you know, we, we want to definitely be the place to connect people to everything and some of the things we have ourselves to help people. Um, but um, I, I often tell people one of the most or pretty much, I would say pretty much the most valuable thing that um, I bring to the table to a member is my relationships. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm connected to so many things and it doesn't matter what their issue or what their question or what they're looking for. I'm probably not necessarily the guy, but I know who the guy is and or well, the gal. My wife's gonna laugh when she listens to this because I always say, "Look, I know a guy, right?" So I get a, I get calls, probably <laughs> I and maybe it's down to two or three a week. Where Ed, do you know somebody who does this? I absolutely do. Give me five minutes, I'll connect you. I'll introduce you through email. I'll do whatever I have to do to help people out because exactly. I grew up here in San Diego. That's one advantage I have. And two, when you and I before I joined. Before I would ran the chamber, I was a member, right? So yes, I, yes. And I was, I felt like I was good at networking. I talked to a lot of people. I network in a grocery store now. I mean, I'm talking to people yep. in the grocery store. So you do get these, yeah, strange connections. And I get people all the, and it helps me in every business I've ever been in. Right? Yeah, so, well, and people, people like you and like me, we're natural connectors. We, yeah. and we love doing it. And, and, you know, not, <clears throat> that's one of my biggest of philosophies and I know you and I share this um from our discussions and our background and everything but um like I think when people look like like well look I'm sorry I'm my I'm jumping all over the place here but I, I'm gonna just go on a pet all peeve my listeners are used to that by the way because I okay yeah I get one of my pet peeves in 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 my world of uh, is bad networking people who are bad at networking and and what do I mean by bad at networking well like and I know you've seen this so like <laughs> you come to a mixer and I mean I've actually thought about doing a video on all the bad networking techniques but you come to a mixer and and you have like the machine gun business card approach you're just going to go around and rifle your cards out to everybody which is like a complete waste of time you should you should have just put those all in the trash can to begin with or um the other person who just talks about themselves who won't shut up they just they will just go on and on and on about themselves and um or or one of the other ones is um somebody who's you know you're at a mixer a, a happy hour or whatever and they're like trying to close you know like hey hey just if you have a minute just come over here i got this qr code and let's just da -da -da. and you're like no 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 i'm here to mix buddy i'm not here to sit down and watch you pitch and all this stuff so but when what is good networking is learning about other people and you and I are connectors. So we, we kind of, yep. I don't know if we naturally did it or if we learned it young. I, I probably learned it young. I, I probably shouldn't say I'm natural, but you know, learn about other people, get to know them, like get, get to know what makes them tick, gets to know what, what they're passionate about or how did they get into this part of their life? And, and then when you feel there's a connection, hey, let's set up a coffee later and let's get together and talk. And you're you're fantastic at this. So I'm, I'm I know between you and I, I'm preaching to the choir. But yeah. you know our listeners, you know if, if people are out there who are thinking about if they want some tips on networking, um, you know don't take you know, come away with two or three actual connections you made at a happy hour. Not you gave out fifty business cards that all ended up in the toilet. Yeah. Well, it's a funny thing. I just. When I went to work for this new company, they gave me a stack. Of, they gave me a box of business cards. Well, I bought it. I have a popple, right? So the ones you just put up people's phones. And I don't really offer it. If they say, hey, do you have a card? I'll say, I'll tell you what, I'll do this. I'll do the popple thing on their phone. So it goes right into their phone, which is kind yeah. of slick. Plus, it saves money on cards. But yeah. I 
so I have a lot of friends that write sales books, right? You might know Steve Haru. Steve Haru is a guy that um, he's really well connected with the SDAR, the San Diego Real Estate oh, yeah. Association of Realtors. And all the realtors know him because he's done speaks and he does a lot of vist vistage speaks, things yep. like that. And he's been on my podcast and he wrote a book and it's, I'm sure it's a good book. I have not read it. I have another friend that just has another book coming out this week. And I told a publisher one day, I said, I could write a sales book in one page, right? And a lot <laughs> of it. And one of those things is don't go to sell somebody, go to meet a new friend, right? Yeah. Go to find out about him. And I will. I kind of have this sign on my head, apparently, to people that says, tell me all about your life, because I can go to the grocery store and come away with, oh, yeah, they have three kids, and, you know, they grew up in you know, Florida, and, yeah, I know the wife knows this person that I know, and um, and I think that's really important, just to kind of go in, and, and so I work with a lot of cities now. They're not interested in seeing a sales guy, but they are interested in talking to somebody different than the people in their office, so it's always just a good relationship to kind of hang out and talk to people, yeah. and then they'll end up... A lot of times they'll end up talking me into buying from me, talking, talking me into selling to them, say it that yeah. way, right? Instead of me selling them anything. Because I'm not yeah. going to sell them a bad product. And if it is a bad product, I'll make it up with price, right? So yeah. I always, I'm always, they're always going to get a value. But the first lesson in sales is if you're a jerk, don't go into sales. Right? Because yeah. a couple of things are going to happen. You're going to get mad at people because they're going to say stuff that they shouldn't say. And you're going to have to have kind of rough skin, you know, or just kind of let it bounce off, whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. So networking. So I'm I'm actually trying to get a class off the ground with Power Unified Adult School about sales, right? Nice. And the nice thing about this is if you had a company, if someone had a company local here and they had six salespeople, they could send them to my class and it would cost them very little to get right. the same information they're going to get out of a $20 book or $8,000 seminar, right? Exactly, yeah. It's all pretty simple stuff. But you know what? The work ethic, it's hard to get people to... First of all, salespeople will never admit they're shitty salespeople, right? Yeah. That's the first problem. Yeah. You gotta get they gotta get over your ego. You gotta go be willing to learn things and to listen. I was listening to Jordan Peterson on a talk today talking about how people just don't listen. Yeah. Like they're not listening to what um people are saying. They're 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 laying out their problems and then you try to sell them something that they didn't even talk about. Yeah, exactly. So, so but networking definitely. Um I used to have people that would stand at the same belly bar, right? The whole networking time. And I'd say, you know, you just might want to try maybe two belly bars more, right? <laughs> just go introduce yourself to somebody and go, hey, you know, what do you do? Exactly. You know, what you do? So one of the resources that we haven't talked about, and I'm not talking for you, but in every chamber I've ever been involved in, there's always that HR company that will sell you their time part-time. So for small businesses out there, these are nice. These are good people to talk to, right? Yeah. They'll give you two hours of information so you don't have to have an HR person. You can They can give you all the – and there's a lot of resources citywide and countywide that you can get yes. that are free. You got to hunt them down. Like the SDBC, is, is that it? SDBC, yeah. That's a great resource because they have all yeah. those people for no cost. No cost, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Uh, and again, that's the, kind of that connector mentality. Um, we're connected to so many great resources for, like you said, the human resource side, the legal, the legal side, the compliance, the compliance yep. side, which compliance is so is a big deal. Yeah, it's so dicey for poor small businesses. You know, uh, I like to say that, um, you know, small businesses, they need to have their their nose to the grindstone because they're trying to make a profit, make 
keep the doors open. They don't have time to watch the insanity at, in Sacramento and other places, but that's what we're here for. Like, be a member of the chamber. We watch your back when all the stupid stuff comes down policy-wise. Yep. It's going to affect you, right? So that we can, A, maybe alert you when maybe you should speak up, or B, just we'll be going to bat for you to say, this is stupid, don't do this. Or C, if it actually gets to law to say, hey, watch out, make sure you dot these I's and cross these T's. So, um, but yeah, so the compliance side, the HR side, the, um, you know, whether you need uh, finance resources to grow your business, uh, you know, and lending and blah, blah, blah. So we're, yeah, we're yep, about yep. all that stuff. Um, and, uh, um, and it's, you know, it's what makes us thrive. This, this morning I was talking, uh, our guest speaker was talking about, um, he was, well, he, he he hit on a lot of topics. Of course, it's the um, it's January, so everybody's into goal setting, right? Which is yeah. natural. It's a good thing to do. But um, one of the pieces he hit on was um, you know knowing your why, like why are you doing what you're doing? Because there's certain yeah. days where it's whatever you're doing, including what I do and I'm what you do. It's not fun. I mean, there's there's days where it's just like ah, I'd rather just stay in bed. But so when you dig into your why and and I was sharing after he spoke, one of the things that really irritated me during the pandemic, like if you think of the height of 2020, and of course there's a lot, I mean, obviously I'm sure you could do entire sure. podcast episodes just on that. And I'm not I've trying to a open, couple. Yeah. yeah, I'm not trying to open that can of worms, but one that really got under my skin was this artificial determination by Big Brother over who was an essential business and who wasn't. I get that. You know, and they I agree. decided- yeah. And they're just like, well, you're non-essential. According to whom? You know? And so it's like, no, one of the things that fires me up every day to do what I do is that I believe every business is essential. And every person, by the way. They all have and an every person value is essential. humanity. Right. That's exactly I talk about this a lot. Yep. Exactly. And because even if um the sole purpose of your business is to put food on your table, that's friggin' essential. Sure. You know, if the sole purpose of your business is so that you have a roof over your head. That's essential. I mean, I, I I hated that whole distinction. And so for us, it's like, no, if you are an entrepreneur, a business owner or whatever, you've got that American dream, you're going to make something and you choose to join your chamber of commerce, we're going to come shoulder to shoulder beside you. We're going to accompany you on this journey and do whatever we can to help you achieve that goal because we believe that you are essential. Yeah. 100%. That's a great point. I never thought of it that way, but you're totally. In. So uh, it was um, the pandemic was very hard on me psychologically, a lot of because I because of the lack of connection with people. Right. I used to kid that I didn't like people. And now I just wanted to go up and hug people like six months in. I, just, I don't even care who they were. I wanted to hug them. Right. Um, just to say hello or something. And then you couldn't see their face. And there was a whole it was hard. But, you know, it's in the past. And I, was, and I learned a lot. And I. I grew a lot, I think. Um, I mean, I have my podcast now. I'm doing a lot of other things that I wasn't doing before. But that's, um, we talk, I talk about just 100, one in 400 trillion chance we were even born. We all have an intrinsic value to humanity. Amen. And talking about our why, I think it's important that people understand that if you're a realtor, that's not who you are, right? You got to decide who you are, not that's what you do. And I struggle with this sometimes, and it's a little bit selfish on my side that I don't, um, that, you know, it's, it's just, it's a kind of a struggle in life to decide who you are and not what you do. You got to be yes. able to separate those things. 
And I think it's all tied together. You were talking about why you're a good networker. One of the reasons is after having spent time with as a youth minister and things like that, you had to listen to people, right? Your yeah. son, boy, is he going to learn a lesson in trying listening to people? Because yeah, you you want to think, and the Catholic Church is in any church organization, any organization has to try to make general rules about how they're going to apply whatever they're applying, right? Sure. And but you have so many people that are coming in from all these different directions of why they're yeah. going to church, all these things. Uh, what their past is, what they've done, what they haven't done. I always say what they've done and what they failed to do, right? We have that yeah. every week yeah. we hear that. And um, that's that's really a super cool skill. And I know a lot of people don't have that skill, by the way, that are in sales, and they, they need to learn that. Yeah. But their ego's too big to learn that. Yeah. Yep. And and uh, and it's you're right. It comes back to ultimately, like you said, the value of each individual. And yeah, I love you know I I've said before, and and I mean this. I, I've said this to my board. Um, I feel like the Chamber of Commerce is one of the best equal opportunity organizations in the world because we literally we don't care what your gender or your age or your color, race, religion, we don't care any of those things, no orientation. If you have a dream and you join your chamber and you're trying to make it happen, we're going to come shoulder to shoulder and do what we can to help you. So you just did your 2023 marketing pitch right there. That is exactly, that is exactly a separator from what the chamber used to be. Wouldn't you agree? So it yeah. used to be the good old boys network, right? And yeah. all these things we hear about, by the way, ladies and young people, that good old boys network did exist. I don't think it exists as much now, but yeah. I don't think that uh, that didn't happen. It happened. It was like slavery. I mean, it was, it happened and it was, it was right, but it happened. Right. We don't have that situation now. So that would, Brett, that would be a brilliant, uh, you should put some marketing stuff together for that. That's a brilliant way to sell the chamber. And it's true. That's the other brilliant part of it. It's not, you're not just lip service. I know you long enough. And I know what I did at the chamber. I didn't care either. Yeah. Didn't really care. I was there to help you. What can I do for you? And that's what we had to go out and ask some members. And I know it's hard to get surveys done and things like that, but you need to really, as a salesman, listen to people and say, what do you guys want? What do you yeah. want me to do? And I'll do whatever you guys, you know, within reason, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Yep. Yep. That's it. I'm, maybe we, maybe we should make more of a marketing campaign out of that, but that's, yeah, it's yeah. a good idea. No, it's, that's, that's the, that's what separates the old chamber from the new chamber. Yep. Yeah. And uh, the, the chamber of the U.S. should be doing that too. They should be pitching things the same way. Yeah. Because we do have all this diversification now that has come to the top of the uh, water, right? That we can yep. see all these other people. and. You were talking about how smart your kids are and how smart young kids are. This is the difference from when I was 15 years old and my grandson. His creativity is off the hook. I didn't even have, I guess looking back, I might have been creative, but I didn't really have the opportunity to show it, right? We didn't yeah. have that in school. Yeah. We had an art class. I beat someone up in an art class once because they flicked paint on my shirt. That's what I remember about art. Yeah, right. It's not if right. I could draw or paint. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. So see, you're learning something already today. You I have am. a new marketing campaign to work on. Get I do. I love it. <laughs> get that off the ground. <laughs> well, Brett, I know most people that come on my podcast, I can talk to for like three days. So yeah, and you're no different. I could 
we'll get together in a couple months again and have coffee. And um, I really good. appreciate you being on here, but I'm going to have a, I got a couple of questions for you. So okay. um, I started this and then I got away from it, but I was talking to somebody about leadership the other day. And so I have two questions. Tell me if you have a teacher, no matter if it was college, high school, elementary school, whatever, that stands out in your life that was a positive influence on you and why. Uh, my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Smith. Um, so normally, just to tell you, I rarely get an answer this quick. But okay. this is why it was so important. So, Mr. Smith. Yeah, Mr. Smith uh, in sixth grade um, at Monta Vista Elementary School. And, um, you know, when you're that young, like I didn't understand. I didn't understand leaders and things like that. But what I remember there were a couple of times where... Um, I, don't, I guess we were forming teams or something and he chose me to be like team captain and I couldn't figure it out, but he, he kept championing me as a leader and I didn't, nice. I didn't really, I didn't totally get it or appreciate it, but he saw it in me way back then. And, um, um, and he just, so he had that kind of impact on me that like, I felt like he believed in me before I even knew there was something to believe in. Yeah. Um, and he was a great teacher and, uh, you know, and I, obviously, as you know, I mean, there's there's other great teachers I had along the way, but he stands out. You stand. That's what I'm asking. Who stands out? And that I had the same thing. So when I was in fifth grade, I had a principal come up to me, you know, and they used to wear dark suits and a white shirt. And stuff. Yep. And he put his arm around me and said, uh, "You're a leader." And he kind of and the same thing. I didn't understand yeah. what he was talking. But he saw somebody. Okay. So the second question is. Uh, same question, but tell me about a leader you've had in your life that you appreciated that was a good leader. So this is a question that oftentimes the guys look like you do right now, and I don't hear anything, or girls. Um, but it sounds to me like you may have somebody, but tell me who you think stood out in your life as a leader. Um, well, I've had a I've had a couple. So, you know, different stops in life. Like when I was in real estate, I had a um, – I paid to have co a coach, you know. And so um, – uh, the real estate coaching company actually is, <laughs> I'll give them a shout out because they're right here in Carlsbad, um, Buffini and company. Oh, I know and them. They, yeah, they do. They, they work with realtors all over the country. And, um, and so I learned a ton um, from them, but, and, and a ton uh, about just like this mentality, this, this giving mentality, give, seek to give first and, and give value first, and then you'll get back what you're, which you need. Um, but uh, also there's a Servant Leadership Institute um, is another one that has really been uh, impactful in my life. And um, so like Ken Blanchard, but um, oh, yeah. yeah. And um, there's a, there's a gentleman who's was, I got to know through the Vista chamber um, named Art Barter, who um, put a lot of his resources into the Servant Leadership Institute and this, this concept of kind of flipping the org chart, you know, instead of having the leader at the top of a pyramid and dictating everything down, flipping the org chart upside down, where like the leader is the one on the bottom serving everybody above them to help them maximize who they are and what they can yeah. become. Cause that just overall helps you get to the goals you're trying to achieve. And I love that concept. And uh, so, so yeah, uh, be between those those different um, folks. And then, you know, what's funny, Ed, and I, I, I bet you can relate to this too. Um, and I'm not going to name these because I don't, I don't yeah. want to throw anybody under the bus, but there's some bad leaders that you 
encounter along the way yeah. too that are formative, right? I was just going to say something to you about this. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, um, so I don't know. I, that's kind of what comes to mind with that question. Well, those are awesome because I know you're honest and those are awesome, honest answers. I, I read a lot about leadership. I listen to a lot of TikToks and uh, Facebook things and TED Talks and all those. And what I find is we have a lot of people talking about leadership, but not executing leadership, right? It's yeah. the 80-20 rule, right? It's just like anything. There's always 20% of them are really doing it. 80% are just blowing wind. But I'll tell you a funny story about Ken Blanchard. So I come home one day and there's this, my kids are home, like three or four of them. I don't even know. And there's this kid, boy, sitting next to one of my daughters. And I said, how you do? My name's Ed. And he stands up and says, hi, my name's um, Atticus. And I'm like, oh, cool, Atticus, um, you know, where do you go to work? You know, Jackie from school, blah, blah, blah. Just normal thing. He was just over there hanging out. And um, I said, well, what does your dad do? He says, hey, he works for my grandpa. I said, oh, what does your grandpa do? He says, I don't know. He writes books and stuff like that. I said, who's your grandpa? He says, Ken Blanchard. <laughs> and I said, uh, you don't even know. Do you know who Ken Blanchard is? He's like, well, my grandpa. I said, no, no, no. <laughs> you know who he is in the world? I mean, this kid He's like the godfather of motivation, like, right? Yeah. He's like a Zig Ziglar. Exactly. And it was so funny that, you know, as parents, like, I, I'm sure Michael Jordan's daughter just knows Michael Jordan as dad, doesn't care if exactly. he played basketball. But I'm like, dude, that's that's crazy to me because I know I've read all your dad's books. I've listened yeah. to him speak and all that. And I saw him, um, your predecessor, is that the right thing? Yeah, the Ted. There before you, yeah took me to one of your events and Ken Blanchard was there and I spoke with them and told him, I know your grandson Atticus. He goes, ah, oh, yeah, he's a good boy. And this and that, you know, yeah. kind of typical Ken Blanchard, Mr. Positive. Yeah. So I was just so funny that, um, and then I had run into Atticus a couple of years later and I heard his name and I went, okay, how many Atticus kids sure. do you know name? It? And it was him, but uh, that's a cool story. So I yeah. was one of those people that don't, I don't really, I can't really think of a good leader that I ever had. I've, I've watched good leaders that weren't leading me and thought they were really impressive. I had a principal at an elementary school that I thought was the best manager I ever met in my life. Mm. He was very good at managing the teachers and things. However, in the in the system, then they would rotate him about every five years. So I lost him after a few years but to another school. Well, Brett, I tell you, um, I could do another podcast with you at some point, and maybe we will in six months kind of see what the economy does here and sounds good yeah something comes up but uh, i i think um this is a great podcast we're not i won't probably well i'll talk to you afterwards so just stay on for a minute i really appreciate being on today i know it, you have things to do and and uh but you did yeah. a great job so thank you and I, I totally enjoyed it loved our conversation appreciate the offer and uh if there's a chance in the future i'd love to come back yeah, so hang tight for a second. Let me do my outro here. So this is the edfranklin.nolimits podcast. Um, you can email me at edfranklin.nolimits at gmail.com. If you have a guest or if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, let me know. We'll see if it's a good fit, and we'll get you on there. So happy new year again. Um, I'll be back next week with a, with a topic nobody really wants to hear about, but everybody wants to hear about. So anyway, thank you for listening, and please share my podcast. Mm -hmm.